Blog Talk Radio.
presenting the facts that show child abuse to be a pandemic, worldwide problem that affects everyone. And number two is offering hope for healing through numerous pairs and providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. Now, today I was standing outside, and I'm not going to say who is, but this guy, and um, he did say, well, people just don't care enough about it. That's all there is to it, because we were talking about the show. He said, people just don't care enough about abuse. They don't, they don't care at all about it. And he walked away, and I I admit, I wasn't ladylike. <laughs> um, something, a word popped out of me, but we won't go there. So um, I thought to myself, you know, it's it's unfortunate because there has been a change. There has been a change in the amount of people who do discuss child abuse today. As uh, 14 years, I've been on the radio, Lori, for 15 years in all. Because I was with uh, Lori first, you know, the one from Canada. And I was on her radio show. And then you had uh, the 13 and a half years, for God's sake, with NASCA. So it's been 15 and a half years altogether. Okay. So I've learned a lot of things because I've done a lot of research during this time. And we've had great guests come on. Um, I have some lined up, and I'm sure others have some lined up. I just got off the phone with one right before the show. And um, you can learn a lot from these people, okay? Um, they're foundation people, but also, too, they, um, the last one they called uh, is for Save Our Children. So that's her organization. Her name is uh, Pamela Olson. And um, I have to get with her on Monday. And I will send her also to Kim because Kim, I think, does a scheduling now, whatever. So anyway, the point is we have some people that um, I'm proud to have on our show, you know, showing up. Um, I love the people from the foundations. Um, I've dealt with them for years. Child help is something that uh, is on our cards. If you buy the cards so that you can, you know, be proactive and they're not very expensive, and and you hand them out. Child help is on there, and also too on that card is the the hotline number. You know, in case you see something at two o'clock in the morning, and uh, so I called them at two o'clock in the morning before I knew them. And uh, yes, uh, definitely counselors answered the phone. Uh, they were very good at what they did, and then I told them where I was from, and that's how we got child help to come on the the show. But anyway, you will see, I'll I'll make sure that it's uh, being displayed, you know, on our Facebook, um, you know, the dates that they're coming on, um, because they're definitely worth listening to. You learn a lot from these people. Um, I'm keeping profit for myself. Uh, (laughs) He's from uh, Newark, and um, he's from uh, Winona's house, okay? And I probably can get him on maybe in a few weeks, and that's it. And I do my best with that. So anyway, okay. So getting to tonight's show, um, I have some things here that I, I need to read a little bit of, and then Lori and I are going to discuss it. And the number here, by the way, is 646-595-2118. That's 646-595-2118, okay? Uh, that's the call-in number. And uh, you push the number one, and you can be on the show. 
Or if you don't want to speak, you can come on the show too. Just listen. You know, learn something. You don't have to push the number one, okay? Um, so anyway, let me get into this, and uh, Lori and I will have a lot to say about it. Now, this is Understanding Verbal Abuse, and this is by Angela Lambert, Morningside Recovery. They do it a lot with um, alcohol abuse and all kinds of things, which I'm going to be doing very soon, uh, going back to that. And um, and also with prostitution and all, all kinds of stuff uh, with the other group that I'm involved with now. Um, abuse can affect the lives of people regardless of age, gender, or social status. Although people most often associate abuse with physical violence, it can come in many different forms, and that is including verbal abuse. People don't think about that. You know, people are so used to cursing and cussing and all this other thing that they don't think about what they're doing, say, to a child. A child can take it maybe a little bit better or less better rather than an adult. Think of yourself as a little kid. Hey, were you ever screamed at and cursed at and stuff, Lori? <laughs> that was I knew you were going to laugh. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's only kind of conversation if you would call it that was in that house cursed uh, they hated me i'm a witch um i'm a bitch <laughs> i'm this one that whatever <laughs> there you go and, you know, she, she she lived in my house man go ahead yeah go ahead i can tell i, I was like yes i get used to it it's just the way they, they were it was shocking to me to find out other people actually talk to people you know in the house but yeah, they started me right out. So it's like I instantly knew that I was hated. So that's like a thing that you have to accept. Your parents hate you. It doesn't click in a kid's head that big. But I do remember all of it because um, it affected me that badly. Um, and I'm 65 now, but I can remember. That's right. So So can I. I'll bet you, I'll bet you, ninety-five percent of NASCAR, okay, please everybody, many people outside of NASCAR, um, you know, were verbally abused as a child. But what does it do to that child? You know, because the nature of verbal abuse is damaging effects are often underestimated and misunderstood. This can be a problem for people who are the victims of it. In addition, it can make it difficult for people who suspect that a friend or a loved one is being verbally abused. I mean, what are they supposed to do about it? You know, they stand there, they hear it, they see it, they feel for their friend, say, and and yet it continues. To help combat verbal bullying, because they look at it as a form of bullying as well, Um, it is important to educate people and raise awareness. Now, we don't really talk about verbal abuse and, uh, that much, or, you know, on, on NASCA as one of the, you know, top things, like in our mission statement. But verbal abuse is, is something that can totally ruin the spirit of a child. It'll, it can break them. I read so much today. I am so tired. <laughs> but it showed pictures, too, of kids, you know, who are being screamed at, Um or not even, sometimes not even being screamed at, just being told that they're no good or whatever, whatever the case might be. And the look on the child's face, Lori, probably our faces looked like that. I don't know. I wasn't standing in front of a mirror. You know what I'm saying? 
but it certainly didn't help anything. And then we always suffer from all different kinds of, of uh, you know, emotional problems. And also, too, a person's body language. Now, that's something I was taught in school about body language. I never thought about it before, except I did know that my mother and my stupid brother, and I will continue to call him that until the day I die, um, my stupid brother and her mother, meaning my grandmother on that side, they would get this maniacal look on their face when they were mad. <laughs> when I was a kid, I mean a little kid, it would scare me. And then as I grew older, um, it didn't scare me at all. I just figured, look at them. And then, then, you know, it took the power away from it because they were not intimidating to me anymore. And uh, I'm sure it pissed them off badly because they wanted to scare me. Okay, so... There's a, there's that to think about too, and it's it's a type of abuse where there are no physical bruises. Okay, it is just as damaging and can leave an, an individual with emotional scars and trauma. With verbal abuse, the abuser uses words as a way as a way to um, control and dominate their victim. It is a behavior that is often thought of in terms of domestic violence. Now, you see, they're trying to, and I believe this to be true, it certainly many times leads into domestic violence. Hey, I remember seeing people in my family um, screaming and yelling at, at each other and saying disgusting words and all this other stuff, and then the next thing they come to blows. So I think the two go together. I can see that. Um, however, it can occur in places at work, school, spouses, teachers, employers, girlfriends, boyfriends, or friends can be verbally abusive uh, just just because. When it comes to relationships, it often is a precursor, yes, to physical abuse. Now, that's what um, Angela Lambert uh, from Morningstar Recovery feels about verbal abuse, and uh, that's just a little bit of it right there. But um, I believe everything that, that I just read, because uh, I, I, I don't know exactly with you, Bob. We both had wild times. I know we did in our families. But when there was all that verbal abuse going on, many times it turned into physical abuse. And uh, October, I believe, is Domestic Violence Month. I taught that over at Centenary, and I believe it was in the month of October. So, yeah, you have the verbal abuse, and you have all that anger. Think of the anger. When I think back to those maniacal faces, I'll never forget that either, what they looked like. They looked like devils. They did. They they, they looked weird, okay? Their faces all scrunched up. And uh, and then what came out of their mouths was was awful. And I think, whoa, I was more looking at that than li- even listening to what they were saying. And I don't even know what it was I was supposed to have done wrong. You know, I just turn and walk away and feel, wow, I'm getting away from them. Okay. Now, with the adults upon adults, yes, it didn't turn into, um, you know, fights, physical fights. And they didn't use knives. They didn't use guns. They didn't use anything else like that. They they did fist fight a lot. Now, that I thought was comical. I don't know why. <laughs> I'm sorry. But uh, they reminded me of the Three Stooges, okay, only there was a lot more of them than three. 
and, and and they would explode, and and because they were drinking so often, you know, alcohol is involved or other types of drugs. And um, this one doesn't agree with that one. Before you know, you have what we call the domino effect, okay? And the domino effect, of course, means that you picture dominoes when you used to play them. I used to play them as a kid. You know, it just goes down, they fall down. And that's all the people that become involved in the fighting situation. And uh, it can be a lot of people. Yes, it can. So... When a child is watching all of this, um, you know, with all this physical fighting, they can either be terrorized, okay, or with me at times I really thought it was comical because they look stupid, all right? I thought they did anyway. And uh, But the outcome many times wasn't stupid because many people in that group, because at one time I had a huge family, um, they have since died off because some of them were born in the 1800s. Are you nuts? <laughs> what? They came over to our country um, at the almost 1900s. Uh, they came through, you know, the right proper way. They got vetted and all this. They came through Ellis Island. They came from um, Germany, Italy. Um, and then I found out more things on um, on ancestry, so some of them probably weren't even related to me. But I thought they were at that time. Okay, so they came over and they came to our country, and um, they didn't get along. Okay, they should have some sort of stayed over on the other side and, and whatever. So I would see horrific fights. Other times I would be scared to death. Okay, because it just looked so volatile that I didn't know what was going to happen next. And I do remember going under a table and hiding, because I I didn't know what else to do. I guess I could have run out of the house if I thought about it, but I didn't. But anyway, okay, verbal abuse can cause children to suffer from low self-esteem, which can lead into depression. Now, have you been depressed in your life? When I was younger. I Mm -hmm. I came in, uh, I'd say about two years, and I felt... The sadness already, because I watched for, um, my brother was a year older than me, and he was actually serial crazy, is what I call him. He would do anything that violent and that out of control. My father was equally out of control, but he had two personalities, and the one that everybody else saw um, was the the sociable, the handsome man, the one who can talk, and he would flirt, and everybody knew him like that. But when he entered the house, he turned into another person, and the language that came out of his mouth, and I didn't know what cursing was at that time, but I knew it wasn't good, these words, that's what he would enter the house with. And then it started from there. And he'd already go over to my brother I don't know what my brother was doing, but he was either hurting somebody or breaking something or something, whatever it was. And with Gilder in the bed all the time, two of them, they were at it all the time as well because you couldn't control, you know, my brother with anything. He was just that crazy. So I was always scared because I was already being beaten up by him and her. Um 
and it definitely caused trauma because there was really no place to hide. I mean, there were already, you could see, like, the doors had been smashed and the walls already had, you know, fists through them and broken furniture, all that kind of total disarray. It was already happening. So by the time um, my sister came in, which she was born three years after me, and um, they never told us that we had a sister, which was very kind of strange. Because along with the hate and the words and whatever, I was discounted as a person. I was just like there. Didn't you know? Nobody talked to me. In fact, I didn't hear my voice until I entered kindergarten, actually, except for screaming. So just one day, I think my aunt, who lived two, two doors down, was babysitting us in the afternoon, and I come out of the bathroom, and I hear this door that we were told not to open. I hear noises coming from the door. So I got curious, and I slowly opened the door, and I saw my sister standing up with full head of hair, she was born bald, so she had to be about a year old or so. And they kept her in that room for the entire year. They would, I guess Gilda would come in, feed her, change her, or maybe not change her. It depends on what, you know, the sister. I asked her sister what was going on with this. So she told me a little about what happened and all. And then she came into the mix, and the fighting got worse. And believe it or not, it was somewhat of a relief to me that my brother started beating up on her because he stopped beating up on me. And then I had to go in there as the referee. It's like a actual fighting ring. That's what you're in. And that mm-hmm. for kids to be in it at that kind of age was totally insane. And I had no one to talk to, no one to call, and no voice, no self-esteem. I knew I was hated. And if I ever you know, got in front of uh, Gilda, you know, she slugged me, pulled my hair up. You know, the only good thing about her being with the face, as you were describing what they look like, she was a tall woman. Uh, I think she was about 5'7". And it took me a few years um, to actually be able to see her face from being short as a kid. So I was like, when I finally got to the age where I could see what she looked like, I was like, this is the ugliest, meanest person in the world, you know. And that impression was was staying with me. <laughs> Some reason wow. I was like, I wonder if she's that mean because she is that ugly. All I knew <laughs> is that they were insane. <laughs> I honestly don't know why they got married. That woman was like useless <laughs> so oh, uh, there's some things I, re- I remain um, to be like because I was talked to so downwardly you know they didn't hide it from anyone and plus there was nobody to hide it too because nobody came to visit us we were the outcast of that whatever heard so it, they, it deeply affected me and I was definitely depressed I would even say clinically depressed because my heart hurt all the time. Mm -hmm. It was just Mm -hmm. like you can't see the bruises, but it goes into my heart. And that's when when that verbal abuse really starts. You'll feel those emotions in your heart, and it Mm -hmm. sinks you. 
lower and lower as it gets worse and worse. So that's how I started. Well, I remember asking the doctor, you know, um, I have a little heart problem. I had a heart attack two years ago, and um, that's why people don't want to operate on me, I guess. But I have a foot that needs operating on. They damn well better do it. Or I'll do it myself, and I'll put the neuroma in front of them. I'm serious. (laughs) But anyway, the point is this. Um, That's not a heavy operation, not like with my arm. That's a different thing. But I remember so well, you know, um, going, you know, to doctors, and they would check my heart, and they told me I had a heart murmur. Yes, they did. They told me I had a heart murmur. And, um, okay, but it wasn't a bad one. So I thought, okay, I can deal with this. But then as years went by, as years went by, um, what happened was I started getting heart pains too, and many times – See, this is how all this abuse affects us physically, okay? That's why we have an omission statement, physically, mentally, emotionally, all these things that we talk about, sexually, all this other stuff, you know, we go through all these abuses. It affects us in this way. It affects our health. So I remember after seeing a really bad scene, um, I started to get heart pain. I know exactly what you're talking about, Okay. I know exactly what you mean by that. And um, it's fear. For me, it was fear because my heart was pounding so fast. So I did ask a doctor one time, um, could all the things that I had seen as a child and gone through, you know, with the sexual abuse and the physical abuse and and all the stuff that we go through, God's sake, kidnapping and all this, um, could that affect my heart? Is that why I had panic disorder? because they had said panic, not attacks, panic disorder. I had it too many times. Repetitive, which I learned, of course, much later. But that's what it means. Repetitive is when you have something repetitively, you know, like you were sexually abused, repetitive, or beaten, or all all the abuses that we speak about, repetitiveness, um, can cause all different types of physical ailments. So he did say to me, um, yeah, absolutely. He says your heart is straining itself out of fear. Um, he says you have to somehow get yourself in a way where, you know, you don't think about the fear anymore and, and you realize that today is today, that was yesterday. And if you're in a bad situation, he wasn't a stupid doctor. He said if you're in a bad situation, you should remove yourself because you are damaging your body, and that's what, child abuse, that's what he said, what child abuse does to a child. And after years of of being a part of that, that craziness of other people, okay, because that's what it is, they, they all have some sort of mental condition which hasn't been addressed. And um, when there's all this stuff going on, We're the victims in that sense, even if we just look at it, even if we're not being beaten ourselves at that time, just to look at it. I mean, my heart would go really fast at times when um, I was watching it, and other times, like, I thought it was comical. I don't know. (laughs) I was a mess. I didn't know which way to look at it. But, yeah, it, it ruins our body. You can develop eating disorders and can cause problems with growth. That's what happens. Because kids either lose their appetite, right, they become like anorexic, or they become bulimic, 
all right? Um, they do these things. They binge eat, you know, and that's like with bulimia. Um, or they overeat like with bulimia. It, it's ridiculous. Um, and that can affect our muscles and our vital organs. It absolutely can. Um, we don't grow right. You know, we, we have uh, problems. Maybe you can't see it on the outside, but internally we have problems, whether it be our heart um, or other organs, you know, our kidneys or whatever. It can it can absolutely do things. child um, becomes children, I should say here. Children become weaker and weaker um, because they're not being nourished properly. And this causes developmental delay. So it can cause brain problems also, problems with our brain. Maybe you can't concentrate right. In fact, later on in the article it mentions all of that. But uh, you can't concentrate right. Um, you know, you can't make decisions well. You, you feel like you're in a fog. How often do you hear people say they feel like they're walking in a fog? That's not only just from, you know, pain from fibromyalgia. They call that the fibromyalgia fog. But it's also a mental condition where it can turn into a mental condition um, without, even if you don't have fibromyalgia, you're walking around in a fog because you're being screamed at, you're being made to feel less than, um, or you're being physically abused, or you're seeing too much of all of that, and you're being sexually abused, all this other stuff that we've all gone through, okay? And we do times at times walk around in a fog like, whoa, it's like, Sometimes, I'm not saying you'll get a flashback, but a feeling will come over you, and sometimes it's one it can be of hopelessness. It mentions that right here. Um, uh, you just have, you feel funny. You feel like outside of your body, okay? That's what you feel like outside. That's where that comes from, outside of your body. Like your body is standing there, but all of a sudden something's coming over you. And uh, maybe... Maybe you had a thought that wasn't totally in, in your conscious mind, but it, it's just like it's floating around there. And all of a sudden, maybe it's a situation that can cause it. Maybe you're someplace that reminds you of where you're being beaten or raped or or whatever, okay? Yes, it absolutely, or screamed that. Um, you know, that brings it all back. It can do that. And you, you get, go into a fog, and uh, it, it's it's not a comfortable feeling. I've been there. Okay, so, of course, we have well self, self-esteem until we grow up and know who we are. Um, victims subject to constant verbal abuse may fail to develop a positive outlook on life. Well, why would they? Okay. They have confidence problems, which can affect them into adulthood, if not addressed. The hungry will feed and will look for food as long as they don't have those conditions we spoke of, while the depressed will look for substances abuse, they'll become addicts, alcoholics, okay? So a lot of times that's where that happens. That's where it comes from. Um, the coping strategies to keep them away from reality, that's why they do that. That's why I did it. That's why a lot of people do it. We know what the past was, or maybe we're still in it in the present. You know, maybe some people are walking around like that yet. So then they turn to the alcohol and the drugs um, because they don't like the reality because a part of their brain says, hey, dummy, this isn't right, okay? Um, This isn't the way it's supposed to be. Um, Reality sucks, so let's escape, okay? 
doesn't come out in all those words. But your actions speak louder than words. So they go for the pills or they go for the alcohol or they go for the needles. They go for whatever it is, whatever they think is going to take them away from reality. Okay. The worst side effect is the abused children often grow up to be damaged adults and abused parents as well, abusive parents. That's what they meant to say, abusive parents as well. So these parents that you see smacking their kids around and screaming at them, um, I had that done in public with my mother. Oh, my God, I thought I was going to die. I felt like I was a sixteenth of an inch tall, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I just wanted to go like a bug, go crawl under something and, and hide because um, it makes you feel so inferior and so threatened and um, so diminished, and, and you have nothing to offer, okay? You're just a piece of nothing. That's why when we had um, a person on our show who's not around anymore, I don't know where he is, but he would describe himself as wallpaper. In other words, we would exist in the sense of wallpaper is up on the wall, but we didn't speak because we had nothing good to say, right? Um, we were stupid kids and stupid people, so no, who would want to hear us anyway, okay? All these things that children go through um, because of the abusive um, language that they have to hear, which is pointing right at them. Hey, stupid. You know, hey, dummy. Um, whatever. And then, of course, you get into the cursive ones, and uh, that's very damaging as well, too. So these things that kids go through, if these problems, if they don't go and get help and they realize that they need to get help, um, then they become that type of adult many times over. Now, this one I'm reading here is from the CDC for control and prevention. That's what I'm reading from here. I had gotten into that. So, um, okay, we've mentioned the coping strategies, and that would be the alcohol, the drug abuse, and all that other stuff. Okay, the worst side effect is the abused children often grow up to become, yes, adults that are damaged. And then studies show that criminals, right, criminals, who come from abusive families, they're never praised, they're never encouraged, never given words of encouragement, never taught boundaries in life, okay, that makes sense, um, suffer from emotional abuse, PTSD, and many times do self-harm. So they do their studies with the, um, the people in prisons, all different types of studies, and this is one study that they came up with, and it came from verbal abuse, okay, verbal abuse. Children who are abused seem detached and depressed. Now, you mentioned something before. You said that, you know, you got to the point where you, like, you didn't hear anymore, you were detached, um, you were being screamed at, other people were fighting, whatever, whatever. And then what did it turn into? Depression. Okay. And I was clinically depressed. I was uh, I went and got help, and I knew that, well, I tried to commit suicide once when I was 17, but then I suffered from suicidal ideations. I didn't want to live. What for? What, what would be the point? Because after all, I wasn't worthy, was I, of even living. And unfortunately, at that time in my life, I believed it. I didn't know any better. 
today I know better, okay? They may appear frightened or petrified. Now, you said that you were, like, petrifying at times when you'd watch all this craziness going around you. Or people yeah, were saying 90% terrible things. of the time. 90% of the time, fear, anxiety, and depression. Mhm. Mhm. Well, that's that's a damn shame, okay? Um and, and yet so many of us have been through it. See one thing we have today that we didn't have before is we have knowledge of what we how we feel and how we felt. Okay. And and we certainly know that there's no shame in going and getting help. It'd be a shame if we didn't go get the help. Because once you go get the help, then you become the person who you're meant to be. Now, this is what happens. And and you realize that you are a person of worth. Whereas before, we were told that we were unworthy. Okay. So you have to break through that. So, okay, that talks about the uh, criminals and all that other stuff, and that's excellent. Okay. Um, That detached feeling. That's also another way of feeling outside of your body. Um, You might be going into, I used to have that in stores. What a weird feeling. (laughs) I didn't like it at all. I would go into the store, and there would be tons of people around. Of course, you're going into a store. Or you're going into the mall. I don't care where you're going, okay? And you get a feeling that comes over you, which I don't really have anymore. I've gotten over that. But um, I had it for years. And I didn't, I, it's a bad feeling. It's like you want to roll up and, and go in the corner and hide someplace because you have a feeling of detachment. That can be psychological and it can be physical. You want to hide because you have, you have fear. You're afraid because too many people in your life have told you that you're not going to amount to anything and that you're in nothing. And don't talk. Who wants to hear what you have to say? You're stupid. <laughs> I used to hear that. No one can tell me I'm stupid today. No, no, no. They may appear frightened or petrified. Okay, they use obscene language. And it's like, oh, oh, yes, and they bully others. Obscene language and they bully others. Okay, they display signs of emotional disturbance. They have a minimal interaction with others. Um, When I went to school... There was this kid who sat in front of me. Now, this was grade school, all right? This was grade school. And um, he used to rock, and it's going to talk about this in a second. He used to sit and rock in his chair, Lori. It was really weird. And, and his arms did funny things. And I used to think to myself, what's wrong with this kid? And, oh, my God, was he bullied. But the funny part about this kid is... When he was being bullied by the other students, he made like he didn't even see them. He made like he didn't even hear them. It was like he was in another world. Or he was a very good actor. I don't know which it was. (laughs) I really don't know. But, yes, they rock. And also, um, kids tend to pick their skin when they're being abused too badly. They can actually make sores on their skin. I have seen that. Um, And... So then they'll pick at the scabs. Nice. They may be, they may be bedwaters yet. I've mentioned on the show a couple of times that I knew this twelve-year-old who was still wet in his bed. 
Gee, I wonder why. They have speech, sleep, or eating disorders. Okay. Um, they can have that. They are, that's what they say. Oh, this one. I can't read my own writing. Oh, they're disconnected from their parents. There you go. What did you say before? They are disconnected from their parents. Um, yeah. I would tend, I had problems with my mother. Mostly my stepfather never spoke to me, so I didn't care. Well, that's being disconnected. He disconnected, though. He wouldn't speak to me, and I wouldn't speak to him. We couldn't sit at the same dinner table together. If my mother was upstairs in bed sick, he would make a tray and go up to her, and I'd sit alone at the table. And there was no conversation that had transpired between the both of us. He was that uncomfortable in my presence. And I, too, was uncomfortable in his presence. So I didn't really have a father. Okay, that's just the way it was. Um, They say, Mom and Dad say that I am bad. How often do kids say, have you ever heard a kid say, Mom and Dad say that I am bad? I have. Too many. And they're real. Well, they make it worse. Yeah, what, what do they do to us? I mean, um, they're taking their frustrations out on the child, and their frustrations come from the past and also the present because they don't know how to deal with the present because they couldn't deal with the past. They never got help. So then any child who's in their way, you're just like a flea, get out of here, or a bug of some sort. You're in my way, and they have nothing good to say to you. And... Um, you know, that's that's where that comes from, and it's a shame. Um, you know, that's what it says here. It says about unresolved issues, that's right, of childhood, verbal abuse affects adults in adulthood. Okay. Now, from Talkspace, this is another place that I looked into. That's Talkspace.com, okay. Uh, the psychological effects of verbal abuse include fear, Anxiety, depression, stress, memory gaps, um, sleeping and eating disorders, hypervigilant, I'm hypervigilant, and with my sleeping, I kind of like choose that, I don't know. Um, But definitely I have fear at times. Exaggerated, um, what's this, responses. Oh, okay, I know what that is, okay. Okay. a person who suffers from hypervigilance, if you go and you you know you have your back to someone, I'm sitting there and I'm hypervigilant. If someone comes up to me and taps my shoulder because they want to get my attention, I will jump, <laughs> you know, like 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 my pants are on fire or something. Yo, you know what I'm saying? It, it's it's hypervigilant. All right. Um, yes, you can startle people. I mean that's not uncommon. But it's the amount that you startle them that um, is not uh, is not good. Okay, that's not good. If and I told you once before, if I'm, when I'm putting dishes away, um, I only have the use of one arm and I'm short. I'm short too, and I don't like it. So <laughs> I'll get on my tippy toes, and um, I'm trying to put a cup up or something. If that cup comes flying down all of a sudden, I catch it in midair. I'm kind of happy that I do because I have a less broken cup. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> but 
it's like your your response reflex uh your reflexes are like on guard and they're like you know and and they they react when you see something coming at you but that's that's hypervigilance also um you look for the ladies room or maybe somebody else looks for the ladies room in a restaurant i look for the exit door that's just the way i am because when you go through all kinds of abuse as a child, you you build up the safety net system within yourself. So if you go into a restaurant, you want to know how the hell to get out of the restaurant real fast if you have to, okay? That's just what happens. Okay, so, yeah, the exaggerated response. We have anger issues. Many times people have anger issues. They can develop it. Even though they grew up around people who were angry and we thought lowly of them because of their behavior, we too can have angry, you know, problems, problems with anger. I had to get a cap on that. All right, I had to. Um, then you have alcohol and drug abuse, suicide, self-harm, which I already really, uh, gave to you, um, and assaultive behaviors. So let's see what we have over here. Oh, this is from thehealthyplace.com. Ways of dealing with verbally abusive relationships. People victimized in uh, relationships don't give up easily, and there's a reason for that. This is why they stay around, they take it. They're either still in love with the person or they have money issues. They feel they won't be able to take care of themselves. They can't get a good enough job or whatever on the outside. Or it could be both. So that's why many times, you know, people stay in a situation far longer and other people will say, well, why doesn't that person just leave? Well, maybe they can't just leave. Maybe they don't have the money. Maybe they don't have a car. Maybe their abuser is so... um, controlling that there's only one car and he's got the keys to it. I went through that at one point. I fixed it. Yes, I did. (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah. So you have to recognize also the differences between healthy negative emotions. In other words, you can have negative emotions, you know, about a person, but it has to be healthy. And, and, And you can have unhealthy ones as well, like, I'm going to get a gun. I'm going to shoot him (laughs) or something like that. You know, I'm just using that. Um, Okay, that's number one. Number two is you set personal behaviors and boundaries. Now, this is what people have to do who are being yelled at, um, made to feel less than, uh, and all this other stuff. Um, You have to learn to love yourself enough to put up those boundaries, you're not going to allow for someone to, um, you know, treat you poorly. So you set personal boundaries, and you will not accept from other people, and you enforce them, meaning that if someone, you know, tells me I'm stupid or whatever, I don't belong there or whatever, whatever, it could be anything, and I know better, I'm going to stand my ground. Yes, I will. Today I will. Um, I will not allow for people to treat me poorly today. If they do treat me poorly, I have two choices. I can scream and yell back at them, which doesn't get anywhere, or I can leave. 
Those are my choices. A person is not going to fight with themselves, okay? They're not going to scream at the air unless they belong in Greystone where I used to work or in one of the places because they're talking to something. <laughs> so um, a lot of times that will actually that'll make a fight go away because uh, the other person just simply bows out. And they don't do it because they're afraid of the individual. They do it because they don't want to fight and look stupid. They want to change their life. They don't want to fight and look stupid. Okay? And they don't have to, either. They can't just simply leave. That, that's really a smarter thing to do, I think. So setting personal boundaries mostly reminds the victim, okay, to be on the lookout for abusive behaviors from people. Recognize them. And protect themselves from further emotional harm. Now, it says in these articles that, I've, that I came across that a lot of times the verbal abuse can turn into physical abuse. And because there are so many marriages that do fail, okay, um, there are a lot of angry people out there, and they don't know how to make it better. Um, maybe some refuse to go for help, or maybe some have tried to go for help, and it didn't help the situation. So the best thing to do is to get out of that toxic relationship. And if you have children, and they're watching all of this fighting and this name-calling, and all this degrading, all the things that, you know, people who are verbally abusive do. And they see the body language, like I see that maniacal face. I can still see it to this day. Um, things like that. Um, a kid who, you know, walks next to someone and if the person moves and if they flinch and, they, and they're putting their hand up over their head or something, whatever. And, of course, as a child, when maybe that's, that abuse has blossomed, is turned into physical abuse. I've seen many children in the places that I've worked where kids would flinch if you go near them, even for God's sake. It's like, um, it's a safety net for them. Like, I'm going to put my arm up. They don't think this consciously, but they put their arm up or, or something and uh, so that they don't get hit. Or if they get hit, it'll only be their arm and not their head. Okay. So it's really very sad when you think about it that, that children have to be uh, on the lookout. And that really says lookout here. Um, to be on the lookout for abusive behaviors, yes, recognize them, and protect themselves from further emotional harm. All of this starts out with verbal abuse, and then it escalates. And there's nothing you can do about it unless you get help or you leave the situation. And if you have children who are being screamed at and all this other stuff, I think it's the other partner or, or the the wife or the husband, whichever, who's not being screamed at, who, who is the victim also. It is their responsibility to get those children out of that relationship if they can. Not saying that they can't see mommy or daddy, but that would have to be something that would go through the courts. I mean, you go to an attorney, and, and they figure that out in the court system to decide about, you know, visitation rights. I remember as a child, 
um, I didn't want to see my so-called bio father because I knew he was a nut. <laughs> I watched him beat my mother to a pulp. Not, neither one were any good. But I didn't want to see my mother get beaten to a pulp either, okay? Now, he never hit me. He did hit my brother once or twice, I don't know. He was five years older than me, my brother. So I don't know when that took place. But I do know in my case, he sort of like favored me, if you want to call it favoring. I wasn't getting hit, right? And <laughs> he told me I was a cute little girl and he'd pat my head and things like that. I have memories, but he wasn't my biological father, as it turns out. Ancestry showed me that. So I really don't know who my father is. I have a good idea who he might have been. I'm sure he's dead by now. But um, on the other hand, I don't really know. Okay. So, all right. So, let's see, where am I? Oh, yeah. It's good to share with trusted people, people that you trust what you're going through if you're in a uh, relationship like that. It's a good thing to do because, number one, you're making other people aware if they're not already aware, okay? And, and, and number two, they'll help you. They'll, you know, they'll make you a cup of coffee. Come over, have a cup of coffee, all right? <laughs> um, you know, and, and they'll sit and they'll talk with you. This is if trusted good friends. They'll do this with you. And it helps empower you. It gives you strength to work your way out of a relationship that is so terribly toxic where at any given time that verbal abuse could turn into physical abuse and maybe it already has, okay? It gets you away from that individual. It gives you the strength to move on, to carry on, to do what you have to do. Go for counseling. That's the right thing. You do that first, okay? And the counselor, if he or she is a good counselor, will help you get through and, and um, you know, tell you which who's a good attorney and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> they do that. So what I have here, yeah, that's exactly what I said of the question, leave. See, I, I did leave my first husband because uh, he was abusive and he totally paid no attention to the kids, his children, our children, nothing. And boy, did that piss me off. Reminded me from from what, where I came, I think. Okay. And I didn't want my children to go through that. I didn't. Okay. So um, I put one foot in front of the other and took off and even had the church's blessings. <laughs> A Catholic church. Um, when you're in a verbal situation where you're being called, I mean, he used to call my son that. You know, when kids are growing up, a lot of times they go through a, a time when they're a little bit heavy. They do that. And then they slim down. And, um, you know, maybe they become athletic like I became finally, you know, in my teenage years um, to get rid of all that anger that I had. So I was so filled with anger. I would take it out on the field. I would run, and I would jump the hurdles and uh, play baseball. Well, not baseball, but softball. For a while I played baseball because they put me on the damn team. Were they stupid? I'm not a boy. I'm a girl, and I like being a girl. <laughs> but anyway, that's another story. But, you know, the point is um, we all have to find something. Once we get out of this toxic relationship, 
We have to find something that's fulfilling. Now, you have all kinds of hobbies, which I'm so proud of, and, and they're so pretty, and you do such wonderful things, Lori. And you don't, I don't know if you don't know it or what, and, um, but, you know, you give to the hospitals, you give blankets and, and pillows that you make, and you know, they're all so pretty and colorful. We've spoken about this before, you know, for the preemies and all this. Um, that's, and, and it's, you know, you give and you don't expect anything in return. See, that's really giving. Anyone can give something, but if it's going to be a gift, they don't have to expect anything in return. It's like these um, things I get in the mail, and one is from the mission in Morristown. Now, I choose to support that mission. And the reason why I support that mission is because when I worked in detox, we sent a lot of people who had no insurance to the mission. And in the mission, in this program, they had AA. Okay, that was on the bottom floor. No, I'm sorry, the middle floor. Um, on the bottom floor, there was a thrift shop. And the, and the clients that were in there, whether it be court-ordered or they were sent by, you know, the places that I worked at or they went in on their own, I don't know. But um, they would learn, you know, to sell clothing and they, they'd fix the clothing and they'd, you know, keep an orderly downstairs so people could come in the thrift shop who were poor and, and buy clothing, okay? And uh, then up on the second floor, they had uh, something else. And, and then up on the third floor, they would have meetings. On the second floor, I believe, were all the bedrooms. I don't know how many people they housed. I could do that. I could make a phone call and find out because I get... I, I give money to them, you know, just a little bit. I don't have much, and, but they, well, they want $35. I can afford that, <laughs> okay? Sometimes at Christmas I send them 60 all right, um, because they house the homeless. They house those who are addicts, and um, they have counselors there. And um, then they have their own AA meetings. And on the second floor they, they have their, you know, where they sleep, and a little kitchenette. They have a kitchenette so people can make food and so forth. And they pay them a little bit, Lori, in the uh, downstairs there in the thrift shop. It teaches them responsibility. If you do a day's work, you get an amount of money. No, they're not going to get what normal people would get, you know, people would have who aren't drug addicts and all this stuff. But they give them a little bit of money. But, hey, they're housing them and they're feeding them. And they're also giving them very good counseling. I sent a guy. Now, you talk about people who don't care. When Marty was still alive, he, um, at, at one time, he was taking the train into the city. He worked in a different area of the city. He wasn't over in the Harlem area. He was going uptown and down. So, so uptown, downtown, he was going back and forth. So sometimes he'd take the train. There was this guy laying on the sidewalk next to the railroad tracks. And people would get off the the train and step over him. Yes, he was a drunk. Yes, he had a bottle. But he was stoned. He was so drunk. He wasn't going to hurt anybody. At times, I'd sit there waiting for the train to come and... um, I watched to see if his if he was breathing because he was always on his belly. I always watched to see his back, see if it was going up and down. 
boy, it was winter time. So I got out of the car one point. I couldn't stand it. It was almost like an everyday occurrence, okay? And I called the cops, and I said, you come over here. This is when I lived in Dover. I said, you come over here, and you pick up this man because he's freezing to death. Yes, he's an alcoholic. He's a drunk. He's not bothering anybody. He's still a human being. So they came over, and they got him up off of the the uh, pavement there, and they put him in the back seat of the of the car, police car. They said, "What are we supposed to do with him?" Now these police officers know me. Um, in fact, I'd help them with some things at times. So I said, "Take him to the mission. Have somebody take him over to the mission, which was in Morristown." And uh, that's exactly what they did. And I found out later on, right down, I was about ready to leave Dover. We were leaving Dover. And um, we were going to move up to Hackettstown, New Jersey at that point. We moved quite a bit. So um, the chief of police called me, and he said to me, Carol, are you really leaving? I said, yes, I am. He said, well, Dover is losing a very good citizen. Because, you see, I used to work with him. Now, this person, I don't care if he's an alcoholic, a drug addict, both poly-addicted, uh, dually-addicted. Um, it doesn't matter. He's still a human being. He's still breathing. <laughs> Come on. I'm watching his back going up and down, up and down, right? So we got him out of there. So this is why um, I respect the mission. And some of the people, some of the people, that worked at the mission, okay, realized that some of their clients could become counselors too. So they got them their GED, and they gave them certain courses and so forth and so on, whatever it was that they needed to satisfy the state. And um, that's exactly how some of them became counselors. So they have my respect. To have my respect. So, this is what we can do as survivors, right? We're survivors, all of us, of horrific abuse. Um, some more than others. We, we don't measure that. Trauma is trauma. And um, what we can do is, if we see some guy laying on the street there like that on the platform, uh, you can call the police department and say, "Please come get him." I think he's going to die. I don't care how dramatic he get. Just get him there. And um, you can send them to places like the mission, or maybe you could even send them to the mission. And you will have saved a life. Now, I am sure that those people have a past like many of us do. It's just that I didn't lay down on the street and give up. I laid down the street because I ran away from home to get away from my stupid brother and a mother who didn't care and a stepfather who couldn't care. So I know what the street feels like. I know what it's like to have um, a sweater rolled up under my head to use as a pillow. Now, the jobs I've gone through 
in the past, Lori. I didn't tell them everything that I'm talking about on air tonight because I feared they wouldn't hire me. They think I was some kind of nut. <laughs> so, but I was able to walk into those jobs and do a very good job because I had the experience already. And when I had to go to school, they would send me. Okay. And I would satisfy the state. And I wasn't alone. One place, a registered nurse went with me. She had to take the same course as I did. And it doesn't matter who you were. It's, you had to satisfy the state. And that's where my certificates all come in. So I have more than my BA because of all the certificates. They counted it up, for God's sake. But one thing, I, I didn't care about that after I became a landlady. I told you about that. <laughs> that was a wild thing. Hey, we're not all bad. The landlords are not all bad. I'll say that. Okay, now, the one thing that I can say is with all of, with all of, you know, the things that we've gone through in our lives, um, it's, it puts us to where we're at today. And we do have a choice in that. We do have a choice in that. Um, I can continue on doing what I do, or I can continue on going someplace else and doing something like going back to what I've done before, because I know the place four miles down the road from me, and they need help. You know, so, I mean, there's choices in life. We can take the straight and narrow. We used to call that, and when I was going to um, Princeton, they called it the straight and narrow. And there was an organization called the Straight and Narrow at one time. But what that means is we have to make up our own minds if we're going to stay stuck in that rut that I talk about or if we're going to move on and and, uh, make something of ourselves. And there are people out there that will help you, okay? It's a personal choice at one point. You're either going to live or die because you're an alcoholic, a drug addict, whatever, or you're going to become something that is a person that you can love. Don't worry about whether other people love you or not. I I could give a crap. I, I always say, I don't care whether people like me or not. What's more important is whether I like me. Because if I like me, I'm going to do a good job. So all of these things that we go through in our lives, whether it be abuse from your mother, whether it be abuse from other family members, because that's where most of the abuse comes from. We found that out on NASCAR. We have experts that come on, too, and they say the same thing. It starts in the home many times. And, yes, you have it on the outside, too. So if you have it on the inside... And the outside is like a double whammy. You have more to get over. And that's why people have then complex PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, complex, because it is more than, and don't get me wrong, but more than one person. It may be many people who violated us in many ways, not just sexually, violated our trust, violated our love, violated our our emotional, physical, mental, emotional things that are supposed to make us stable. If you have a background like what we have, you're not going to be stable until you make yourself stable. 
We have to put effort into it. That's why we say you have to do the work. And that's what we have to do. We have to do the work. You've done the work. Look at you today. Yeah, definitely different than when I was younger. Definitely different. So I was one of the angry ones, but I was also one of the uh, invisible ones. I didn't think anybody could literally see me. And that's how bad it got. But um, on my quiet side, <laughs> there was this person that finally exploded from all the abuse that was going on, especially the verbal and whatnot. I knew some of it, you know, played out. Uh, there was no way there that it couldn't be, and I was so isolated. I didn't get to experience what a kid should. You know, and a lot of it has to do with socialization and all of that stuff. So I am different, and, you know, I accepted it. So I'm different now in that way because I used to try to change myself into whatever the norm is supposed to be, but that didn't work because <laughs> it just got all screwed up. Um, you got to pick up the pieces and move on anyway. So I could have also turned into um, what you described my sister basically to be. She has no intention of stopping what she was doing with her drugs and her everything that she's doing, which is why I have nothing to do with her, but I could have been her. Um, I had it worse than, than she did. I was actually her protector. I could have probably gotten out of the situation more, but I didn't want my father doing my sister, who I hated because she was the worst sister in the world. I mean, the abuse that came out of somebody three years younger than me um, blew my mind, but I really and truly did hate her, and I would tell her that. Just My lines were just, leave me alone. Everybody just leave me alone. You know, it's too much what you're asking a kid to do, especially one you hate. You know, order me around like like you own me. Um, 11 years old, working in a ceramic store, babysitting, cleaning house, taking care of the grandmother and the cooking. You know, that's too much for a person. So yeah. being that, you know, I kind of fit what they were telling me I was all this time, and me never actually talking to them because I didn't like them. I, I didn't like them as people. So I had nothing to say to them. So it was a very strange uh, introduction to the world. And then when I got to school, you see other you know, kids and you can see the parents and the younger grades, how they treat them and whatnot. So you learn more. Um, you move ahead a little bit depending on, you know, oh, let me see, is there somebody else inside of me? I haven't had a chance to look yet. I've been so busy. So um, get little bits. What are you good at? What are you not good at? Um, for me, I had, since that two-story fall, I had a lot of uh, brain problems, perception problems, memory problems, all kinds of things. But I couldn't say anything because I was never taken to a doctor and I had no diagnosis on what was wrong with me from some of the things 
that I couldn't do in school like the other kids, which include just as even in gym, I couldn't walk a balance beam. But I could score A's on anything that really didn't involve a memory, anything logical, which means that I was smarter than I ended up to be, which also followed Gilda because she was uh, definitely a genius. She skipped grades in school. She had two degrees. She just didn't function because she was psychotic. And uh, psychotic people happen to have intelligence, too. That's one thing. If somebody sees somebody with any kind of disability, they automatically think their mind um, doesn't function either. But it does. There's parts to people. So, um you know, I went in with a very bleak look on myself into anything. It's not even like as I grew up that a career was discussed for me because I couldn't do anything. You know, I was this, I was that, and I believed half of it. Uh, I tried a bit, you know, to do what I could just to make some money, buy clothes, because they didn't buy me clothes, they didn't buy me food. Uh I wanted to put some weight on me because my bones were sticking out. And mm. I wasn't into, um, I don't know if I didn't think about it or whatever, but I didn't steal food. I just didn't eat. You know, school lunches were at and Saturdays at my grandmother's because uh, she fed us. So food was very scarce and I was very skinny and my bones were sticking out. And I got tired of getting made fun of because that's a whole new bunch of name calling that <laughs> you got to live with on that one too. They I mean, had me on everything, crappy clothes, yeah. crappy personality, you know, you don't know anything, you know, as far as like we are. And I knew it was different. So I didn't have a lot of friends. If I had one at a time, it was like lucky. And so there wasn't anybody really like me. So I knew that, accepted it, and something inside me still made me. I just felt that there was something more in me. So I kept trying different things. And eventually got into the college age where, of course, I never thought I would, but I did. So I took like a year of college. It actually bored me because it was an extension of high school. But then I went to business school. I went to um, a computer school. I went to what I finally decided was a court reporter. And I found out that I actually really did have a brain because that kind of um, training is totally different than everyday training for a job because you're talking in code. And I loved code. <laughs> I really, really did. So I did that for a while. And then, uh, you know, the body broke down because it wasn't really meant to survive what I did. So then I had to change jobs. And that was become the mother of a handicapped kid. And though it was difficult, and my husband would have easily sent him away, I wouldn't. I took him on. Yeah, I believed in him, not the way I was brought up. I believed in him as in a totally different person than my mother. And um, though I was recommended to put him away because of certain things that he's capable of doing, I didn't. 
because I saw something in him. And as long as somebody sees something in you, you know, that that's a spark to me. And up to that point, um, just as being the one who was always, like, put down by teachers too, people who work with me, other people my age or whatever, um, I couldn't do that to somebody else. I'm not that type of person who's actually really kind-hearted me. Um, that I knew when I was a kid because I was always taking in stray animals. So I knew I wasn't like the other people who killed the animals, you know, and, and got kicked off of how they were doing it. I just knew I was different. So little by little, things came into my way. And I'm a person, if the door opens or if in some cases you make a long turn and find something, <laughs> I go in and try it out. Let me see what else is inside me. So I became a lot of things that mm-hmm. people said I would never be. And my self-esteem did go up. I mean, I was, of course, had to seek therapy. I mean, at least I knew I wasn't invisible anymore. <laughs> I'm only semi-invisible because I, I do not put my name with anything still. And that's okay, like, with me because, you know, like I say, I just I like a job. I work. So I'm in a better spot now um, with all the ups and downs in my marriage. Even before my son was born, uh, I was one of the ones. I wasn't going to give up on my son. My son needed a home. I needed the home, and the only one who had the uh, income was my husband. So he stayed in, and we fought a lot, but I kept it quiet and I didn't want to replay uh, what was done in my house and his house wasn't any better so I said no we're not doing this to my kids so I stopped him in his tracks and what I did is I, I called in a social worker a CPS social worker and told him you know my husband abused my son because he used to antagonize the hell out of him out of jealousy so that's when I started fighting him back. I said, you're not doing this. I'm not going to treat him like your father treated you. So we um, had a rocky marriage always, but I got to the point where besides not always thinking I had a voice, all of a sudden one appeared. And he just set me off one day, and out came another part of me. And then I said, fate, same thing. I'm not standing up for, you know, any of this shit that you're laying on me here. This is the way it's going to be because this is the way it is. Finally put him in his place. Now he's he's afraid of me. And I'm like, good. <laughs> you know, it's a good way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my son, is, he's still a handful, but he's comical. <laughs> he's a comical kid, which... Makes me even feel better that I decided to keep him home. I don't know what's going to happen to him, but he's here. Mm-hmm. So you can change as bad of an environment that you were born into and whatnot. You do have the ability to change if you want and if you want to put in the work. Look for your deficits and start building yourself up and find out first if what you're thinking in your head was told to you or is what you think 
of you. That's when you have to differentiate and get that out of the way and then you attack the bigger things and then you start becoming who you're supposed to be. That's right. That's exactly right. I couldn't add any more to that because what you said is completely, completely right. We have to take um, ownership of ourselves because, you see, we lose ourselves. We don't know who the heck we are, you know, at certain ages throughout all of this. And then all of a sudden something goes off in our head and you say, hey, I'm, I am a good person. I know I'm a good person. I'm always giving, giving, giving. I do that, you know, when I can. I can't right now. But when I could... Oh, honey, I was giving it all the time. Not because I it was a fawn, as they call it, F-A-W-N. Um, that's with fight, flight, and flee, and fawn. It's, it's, uh, fawn is there. That's a people pleaser. It, I actually was able to feel joy out of giving, okay, out of giving. And so it wasn't being a people pleaser. It was a matter of I'm helping someone. I'm giving this to them. So I enjoy doing that can't do that right now i have certain things that you know are in the oven as they say um that are but maybe i'll get back to there again we'll see i do know one thing when you get a little bit older a little bit older okay you have to make sure that you're in a good place financially okay you have to do that and um you have to work for it one way or another okay and that's important Otherwise, yeah, you end up in in places like um, when you're really old, like nursing homes and things like that. And let me tell you something. Uh, I used to go to those nursing homes because when I was still with my first husband, um, he played the guitar, very handsome man. He played the guitar. He had bikes, always in love. Oh, my God. But anyway, (laughs) he could sing, and and I can sing, and um, his sister could sing. So we'd go to nursing homes. We would, and we'd sing. That's what we did. And I'm going to tell you something. I I didn't like a lot of things that I saw. I just didn't. So I'm surprised they let us in. And uh, so I would say to him, we, we should... Turn them in or do something. No, no, just stay out of it. Stay out of it. See, that's the problem, Lori. People don't want to get involved. Like this guy that I had some choice words for um, today, because as long as people don't want to get involved and they they don't want to help make things better if they can, okay, um, then change is very slow in coming, whether it be child abuse or the abuse of any kind, it's very slow in coming. And we do have our roadblocks, and that's political. And the show's almost over, so I won't get into that. But the point is we have roadblocks that uh, get into our way when people are trying to change this bill or, or make something a bill, okay? And um, I don't know what it's going to take. I really don't. But I do know this. We can't stop trying to help people. Because I think with all the stuff that we went through, we learned so much just from all of those experiences, good, bad, or ugly, okay, that that's why we can be effective with helping other people if they'll let us, right? So I think that's important. So, you know, I don't like it when I know of survivors that, uh, you know, okay, they're doing well, and I'm happy for that. 
but a lot of times they just sit home and say, okay, I made it, let them make it. You know what I'm saying? They don't try to help. They're not available. I've run into a lot of that lately, people who just simply are not available. And uh, maybe they just don't want to become available. You know, I don't know. But I think that it's sort of like our mission, you know, to try and help people. I think that's where we do what we do, whether it be on NASCA or other places or whatever. Those of us who have uh, walked the streets, swept the streets, streets, I can't say it, streets, whatever, drank the bottles, <laughs> did some shooting up, did some snorting, pill popping, whatever. Oh, my God. And and uh, we made it, and uh, I think it's, it's up to us to try and help people because uh, we have that experience because we walk the walk, right? That's what I believe. It's That's true. So I want to this uh, friend of mine, I told you about this earlier. I've known him for many years, and um, not the guy I go riding with, another guy. His name is Donnie. And he he, he sent something out here, and I think it's pretty cool. It says, um, we fell, we break, we fail, but then we rise, we heal, we overcome. Now, that's what we're capable of doing. We overcome. And that's why I get upset when people stay stuck, okay, because uh, they don't have to stay stuck. They can overcome. They absolutely can. You overcame terrible problems, terrible travesties, all kinds of stuff. I did too. Um, Philip probably did. I know he's listening. I don't know who the 321 area code is, but he wanted to listen because he's in the blue. So um, the point is this, that, uh, you know, when you're out there and you've learned all the things that we have, because I think that's actually better than going to school. I did both, but I learned more living life. And it wasn't pleasant a lot of times, okay? But, um, okay, we learned how not to behave. I sure as heck did. And uh, we've learned that it's good to be um, a person who does give when they can to help people, um, not step over them when they're laying flat on their face, for God's sake, and their back is still going up and down. You know, I mean, we're better than that. And all those people that got off the train, the women in their fancy heels, because they're businesswomen and they're carrying their briefcases, and just looking at them like it's a piece of scum, and and the men as well, you know, and, and all decked out and all this stuff. And Marty had to wear a suit then, too. What a riot that was. But, you know, he had to wear a suit to go to work. And um, so these people who don't have it in their heart to to help someone, to make a phone call. And when people don't have it in their heart to make a phone call when they see a child and know of a child who's being abused, that's just not acceptable. And so, you see, society has to change, too. And I think that's why a lot of us, we go through all these horrible times in our lives, my God. But we do know, we do know, okay, that we can help people, and that's important. It's slower than what we'd like, 
but whether you're working on the phones like we do, you know, on the shows, or whether you're working in organizations or um, something else, something similar to that, whatever it might be, um, we're helping people. I think that's the only thing that's going to save, you know, society in general is because we're going to help each other. Right now, we're in a terrible spot in our country. I don't care what people say. Trump put the wall up, and it got torn down. What, are they stupid? That's all. That's all I got to say. (laughs) The Vatican has a wall. The Great Wall of China has a wall. And we can't have a wall. And we've got all this influx of people, and they're all different kinds of people, and now we have all kinds of problems. So I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know that we can continue doing what we do, okay? And that's going to, we know, we see, you know, the good in it, and and that's all I need, okay? So we had, I think, an informative show. What do you think? I think so. I think Very so. good. Yeah. Well, I, I've got. To, I have to hang up. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. I know. Okay. So, all right, sweetie. I'll I'll talk to you later or tomorrow, whatever. Okay. Okie doke. All right. Love you. Okay. Ya. I love you too. Bye. Bye bye. Good night, everybody. Love Talk Radio.